The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. In a fast-paced world... Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Hello and welcome to the Wizard and the Bruiser Show. I'm the Wizard Holden McNeely. And I'm the Bruiser Jake Young. Oh my god. In the, in the in the studio, produ- super producer Marcus Parks. Hello. I'm an asshole, Marcus. <laughs> and you know that. So at least it's like every time I see Marcus, I'm like, hey Marcus, I'm an asshole. Marcus goes, yes, I know. Yeah. And I said, I'll probably forget to say your name up top of the show like I always do. Marcus will be like, of course you're going to. You're an asshole. And I say, I know. Today we are talking about, honestly, this was a highly requested episode. Mm-hmm. So, so this is one of the first times that uh, uh, users really spoke out and drove us to do the research, drove us to do the work, and talk about the bearded wonder himself, Alan Moore. Literal wizard Alan Moore. <laughs> Ma- self-proclaimed magician Alan Moore, writer of some of the most f- sort of classic um, uh, uh, pieces of comic book uh, it, dim Incredibly influential. No, he was. He is the by sheer force of will. He became the bridge from comics past as four color funny books to the twenty first century. Yes. There would be. I dare say there would not be a Marvel Cinematic Universe. There would not be this kind of geek culture we're talking about. Uh, like he did so much to elevate this art form and make it resonate and make comic books. Uh, the force that it is that pushed and influenced so many things beyond it, and the fact that he fucking hates it <laughs> is all the more magical. Absolutely. He does not like superhero movies, video <laughs> games, modern comics, modern books. He thinks, if you're listening to this right now and you're like, oh man, I love comics, he thinks you're a blubbering man-child. He doesn't even <laughs> like the killing joke. No. His own awesome comic book. I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's one of the rare occasions where the art definitely outshines the writing, but it doesn't sure. matter. But still, damn it, it's a good read. That's uh, the killing joke and uh, uh, whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. Obviously, Watchmen. Uh, is, yes. was an atom bomb in the comics industry. And it changed me around. I mean, I've t- I think I've talked about this now three or four fucking times since we started doing this show, but for me personally, as as a young lad in college, sort of exploring sexually, uh, taking classes on filmmaking and and uh, feminism and, and also was like, I don't read comics no more, man. That's kid stuff. And then my buddies were like, hey, hey, man. While we're not reading beat poetry to each other, maybe you should check out a little-known masterwork called The Watchmen. Mm. And I read it, and it brought me, uh, myself, 
into comic books as an adult. I mean, it had the effect on me that it's had on so many, and, and, and uh, the comic industry in general. You know, I think somebody from Time Magazine was listed as Watchmen was listed as one of the 100 greatest you know novels ever written, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, someone there said it was like essentially was was the day comic books grew up. Was with the Watchmen. uh, I was uh, listening to interviews with Alan Moore, and he resents so. Like this is his core ethos, though, is that despite all the credit he gets for like comic books growing up, like uh, he hates that all the stories were like bang zoom kapow comics grow up. (laughs) That like by giving it an adult dressing, he believes that he just let like the stunted adulthood of the 21st century blossom. Right, and so he's and all of his work after the fact pushed comics to their furthest edges. Lost Girls wanted uh, to elevate pornography. Ooh. Pornography. Yes, I own a copy of The Lost uh, Girls. The uh, League the of Extraordinary Gentlemen issues. has like uh, incredibly weird twists and turns. It's always very mm-hmm. inventive. Uh, uh, Promethea is all about occult. From yes. Hell is about history. And he's always he always wants, he truly loves the art form of comics and wants to push it. Uh, a lot of people says, say his comics are edgy. He would probably counter, if after reading one of his books you're not supposed to think oh that was so edgy you're supposed to think whoa why is everything else so boring and <laughs> yeah. that's like the that's the best reaction and uh uh so let's start at the beginning let's take it back what created the man the myth the legend well i'll tell you right here like so much cool shit it was a shitty industrial town in northern england absolutely <laughs> 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 Born on November 18th, 1953 in Northampton, a poverty-stricken area called the Burroughs within Northampton. There was a high level of illiteracy and a lack of facilities, and Alan Moore always said he loved it. He didn't know there was anything other than it. He thought it was a dandy old time. It's, I mean, you got it, like, all this, uh, 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 what, what, it's, it's gray sky, smokestacks, people clocking in and out at factories where they don't even know what they make. Yes. Uh, uh, Upside down old ladies (laughs) that have the upside down disease where they cannot, they cannot, they can only walk on their hands, Jake. You know, parents that had that stiff upper, that, like, cold, distant parents that had that stiff upper lip. Uh, keep calm, carry on, blitzkrieg. Roofers, roof people. <laughs> you know, Chimney people co- sweeps. Yes, co- people and covered in soot at a, at a 24-7. People taking soot baths. Eating. Going to the local soot batheries and, and getting covered for the day. Every night you'd get nothing to eat but a boiled raven. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and never go to the graveyard on a Tuesday past 11 p.m. or you will be visited surely by a werewolf. Oh, also rampant alcoholism. That's, yes. That one's not a joke. Very much so. Definitely rampant alcoholism and probably a fair amount of pedophilia. Uh, but he was a, he was a smart kid, a bright kid. Uh, yes, he voracious read, reader. Read obsessively from the age of five. Um, rented books from the library, but also really liked comic strips. Started with British comic strips. Um, he read a a uh, a book called the or a regular magazine called The Topper, um, which later merged with another uh, t- uh, sort of collection of comic strips that came out regularly called The Beezer. Um, the, the, these books held strips uh, named Mickey the Monkey and Tricky Dicky and. The, 
barrel the peril and any other sort of rhyming two rhyming words and you could essentially be a paid comic book writer. in uh in in the mindscape of alan moore which is a uh, weird pseudo documentary i watched uh, in doing research for this he talked about how all the british comics were very genteel and talked about family life and adorable little kids uh we uh in our simpsons episode we talked about how the sitcom kind of defined uh american culture and these kind of like family friendly comic strips is what defined British culture for a while and how American comic books were like way more dynamic and colorful and took place The Flash Detective Comics Fantastic Four Black Hawk they took place in New York City and which was as far away from Northampton as you could think in terms of possibilities and excitement and that's what really drew him the idea that there was this this bigger world out there that filled his imagination uh and then like all good children he uh did well in his test because yes. he was a smarty, mm-hmm. got bumped up to a higher uh, education level. Went to a fancy grammar school in Northampton. Tripartite and... education, they call it. They keep testing you and shuffling you around. Yes. Really fucks you up. They got rid of it. It was very Thanks, jar- Thatcher. Jar- <laughs> <laughs> we'll be talking about Thatcher. Oh, that oh, fucking bitch. Iron lady, it. iron, fuck you. Oh. Margaret Thatcher God. is mostly bones. <laughs> oh, we will be the, speaking. Any- British comic book writer in the 1980s. Every third page, there was something about how awful Margaret Thatcher is. She did a number on many people. Broke up the coal union, she did. Don't read any Hellblazer unless you want to read about Thatcher all the time. Well into the 90s. Well into the 90s. I mean, you remember in the movie Constantine with Keanu Reeves, he just takes five minutes to just write about his member of parliament being a proper twat. (laughs) (laughs) So he went from the top of his class to the bottom. It was very jarring for him. He ended up disliking it. He believed that there was a covert curriculum being taught that was designed to indoctrinate children with punctuality, obedience, and the acceptance of monotony. So, okay, this is is where, when I was uh, looking up Alan Moore's uh, life story and his works, this is where the tension, I think, is, is... We were all that fucking pissed off kid that was like precocious and then wasn't thriving in school. Like, I feel like 90% of the listeners have that similar experience. And at a certain point, you're like, oh, no, 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 I'm not falling behind. This system is a fucked. <laughs> like, <laughs> Alan Moore has this like punk attitude, this rebellious attitude, this anarchist, like, uh, uh, counterculture vibe that was from his childhood in the 60s and then thriving in the 70s and then being a celebrity in the 80s. Like, he has been on that path and has succeeded through it and you can just say like oh he's just kind of like pissy he's just kind of a rebel for rebel's sake but fuck he's Alan Moore he's so fucking good that's the thing he was just too damn good of a writer you yeah. know I mean he, and, and, and almost pretty much immediately was too damn good of a writer uh, he, he uh, so he started writing poetry and essays for fanzines and he started his own fanzine called Embryo <laughs> which I feel like is super artsy and fun oh I wrote uh, oh you, hey Leslie you gotta check out my new fanzines called this was Embryo <laughs> it's dark it's very dark there was this art scene in England at the time where like people were forming different arts labs. Literally any creative person from David Bowie all the way to mm-hmm. Neil Gaiman uh, at some point like participated in or formed an art lab. In an art lab. Northampton had its own art lab. Essentially, they got involved with the fan scene. Really, all this, what, what all this leads to is that he ended up getting kicked out of school for dealing LSD. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's all you need to know about the Northampton Art Lab. They got involved, and then he just started tripping his balls out of his body. And uh, so he was kicked out of school for dealing LSD. And on top of that, he claims his principal actually went ahead and called his other like backup schools and told them not to admit him because he would like violate the morality of their campuses. He said gotten he said the headmaster got in touch with various other academic establishments that I'd applied to and told them not to accept me because I was a danger to the moral well-being <laughs> of the rest of the students there. Which is probably, probably true. true. <laughs> um, can we can we smash cut to uh, when he's working shit jobs all over England? Like, I mean, yeah, that's all kind of leads to the fact that he 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 starts working in garbage job. Like I think it was a plumber at one point. A plumber, an office assistant. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talks about his time at a tanner, which is mm-hmm. where they make leathers. So basically, he was just elbow deep in viscera. Yes, uh, working for shitty pay. But he did meet the uh, what could be described as the love of his life, uh, Phyllis Dixon, who he ended up marrying and oh. and going uh, living. Into it, what? Phyllis Dixon. <laughs> Phyllis Dixon's We're not the worst name. Hey, I'm Phyllis Dixon. No, no. I would like to have your child. <laughs> there are way worse names out there, like Garl Garlton <laughs> or um, Pin Pin Parnton is a bad name for a Swiss woman. Swizzle be Bixton's my name. Towel hands would be a bad name for the love of your life. Phyllis Dixon, I could get Philly. Oh, I want a Philly cheesesteak. He probably wouldn't ask for one of those though, because he's very British. So he uh, got into estate housing he went on unemployment benefits and he truly tr- uh pursued writing and uh he his he got his start doing comic strips yes uh he uh wrote uh for some different fanzines he had a strip called saint pancras panda which is a parody of paddington bear mm-hmm. um a lot of uh, uh uh peas that i just said just then got his uh, regular paid work writing a private detective strip called roscoe moscow for the music magazine Sounds under the pseudonym Kurt Vile, which is a play on the composer Kurt Vile. Uh, that's K-U-R-T-W-E-I-L, um, which I'm sure also the contemporary uh, musician Kurt Vile is probably a play on that as well. Um, so, you, you know, I'm learning a lot these <laughs> days is what I'm trying to say. Uh, he also had a regular comic strip in a local paper called Maxwell the Magic Cat, which I actually found a few strips of. And it's kind of this bizarre Peanuts meets Calvin and Hobbes, but huh. like... There's still jokes about fucking in it. It's very, and it's actually very interesting to read these early strips of his because he's drawing them by hand. He's not working with another uh, artist, and there's like a very like it's just kind of a countercultural uh, comic. You don't really get that feeling that this is like. The snake god himself ready to rise. No, the snake is still firmly inside the egg at this point. It's in the egg. It's it's um, it's getting nurtured. It's sort of it's sort of uh, incubating. The snake will be released very soon. Um, (laughs) And and I I do want to mention that. He wrote it under the pseudonym uh, Jill DeRay, which is a play on the medieval child murderer Jill DeRay, which he referred to as a sardonic joke. <laughs> so, um, the uh, but while this was happening, this was the early '80s, and uh, these sci-fi anthologies were getting huge. These comics anthologies were getting really big in England. There were uh, monthly or weeklies. Uh, 2000 AD is a very popular one that and we that, talk about all the time. And that is going to be um, probably the place that he most uh, nurtured his early career. Uh, Marvel uh, Comics had a UK branch that was like kind of independent. 
It was mm. this very weird uh, kind of uh, foster home for British talent where they had uh, uh, Star Wars weekly magazines and Doctor Who weekly magazines under that imprint. And there was a third kind of totem pole in that British comic scene called Warrior. Warrior. Which was kind of the indie, kind of the image comics to the other two mainstream books. Warrior. And Alan Moore was cleaning house in that scene. Yeah, he kind of blew it up. It started off with him um, uh, writing a... A, a copy of Judge Dredd and submitting it to 2000 AD. Judge Dredd was the most popular mm. strip that ran for 2000 AD at the time. Um, the editor saw it and decided they didn't really need any more writers for Judge Dredd at the time. But the script... <laughs> I mean, that ha- it has to be like Simpson spec scripts. It's yeah, just going right? to be like, no, no, you got to understand. I got the one where like, he shoots a missile at a, <laughs> at a bloke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then the bloke's like, you can't do this. And Judge Dredd's like, oh, fuck you. Oh. I'm a Judge Dredd. And then he gets his fucking dick sucked much for eight pages he gets it and uh so the editor decided well we have to enough writers for that but but let's with this guy's too damn good let's let's give him something so they ended up giving him he has like upwards of 50 original stories going on between all three of these magazines he's jumping in between each one uh, he's getting a lot of awards. Uh, initially, he was writing short stories for uh, future for the strip Future Shocks and for Doctor Who Weekly, and he desperately wanted his own long-running strip, his own sort of um, kind of uh, serialized situation. He, but he said that learning, and, and this I thought was very interesting, and I think that this is something I'm doing in my own personal creative work. He said being forced to tell a full story in very in five short pages. Mm-hmm really gave him his best education. As much as he wanted a, a serialized regular strip back then, he really looks back on that time, and, and, and it was really the most formative time for him. I mean, um, one of the hallmarks of Alan Moore's works is visual density, and and uh, his scripts are famously uh, just mountains of paper with each, every, every angle, every piece of clothing meticulously described. And part of that is the economy of space, the kind of the, the getting all this information out on the page that helps the character and the story move along. Uh, so it's kind of like Beatles and Hamburg, where like it's just a crucible of fire. Putting out all these really short stories gave Alan Moore's comics when he finally made it to America for like Swamp Thing and all that. His stories were just that much more dense and that much more meaningful and that much more meaty. Yes. Because he filled each page with significant stuff. Yes. He was eventually given a serial uh, called Skiz, which was for, for, for I serious. thought we couldn't use racial slurs on the no, podcast No, anymore. we can use them 24-7 <laughs> at this point. Skiz is based on the hit of the time, E.T. It's straight up E.T. It's an alien who crashes on a planet, and uh, a young girl named Roxy takes care of him. Good old Skiz. And another which I really want to go back and read called DR and Quench, yep. um, which was about two alien dropouts that just, like, travel travel around in time just fucking shit up. It's really it was, fun. I read it in college. Yeah. yeah. Is it, was, it actually funny? Because that was the only work no, that I saw. Fun. Mm, okay. yeah, it, no, it, it's really fun. In, uh, I think in the late 2000s, uh, or uh, I think actually the early 2000s, late 90s, they, uh, 2000 AD uh, released a bunch of different anthologies of like Alan Moore's work. They collected a bunch of them mm. in these like single uh, collections. So I got to read like a bunch of really cool stuff. That That's Alan awesome. Moore did. Yeah, I have the DC collection yeah. and I 
fucking loved it. It was yeah. so good. But we'll get to DC actually really soon. Um, I also want to note that uh, the DR and Quinch was based on uh, the Robert Altman movie O.C. and Stiggs, <laughs> which uh, I need to watch this movie. It's an adventure of two Arizona teenagers in, in their car, which is called the Gila Monster. They pick up slags, which is a term for loose women, torture their nemesis, Randall Schwab, while producing liquor from procuring liquor from Wino Bob, a bum who lives in the oleander bushes behind the 7-Eleven. I would like to see I that. really need yeah. to see this movie. Uh, it's also key, uh, important to note that during this time, he's collaborating with a lot of British artists like Alan Davis and Dave Gibbons and all these cool guys that would later work with him on some of his more breakout works. Yeah, Brian Absolutely. Ballin worked uh, with Warrior Magazine. Steve Dillon, rest in peace, mm. Steve Dillon, worked uh, with yeah. him on uh, Warrior as well. Um, also during this time for Warrior Magazine, he... Uh, Started uh, two landmark works, Marvel Man and V for Vendetta. Yes, uh, Marvel Man. We we might have talked a little bit about it in the Neil Gaiman series mm-hmm. uh, episode, but uh, it was one, the first time you really saw him just completely disassembling a uh, superhero narrative and using we- a obscure character uh, that was by some weird hiccup of trademark law was a ripoff in England of Captain Marvel that uh, just issue one. Oh no, those adventures weren't real. They were all in your head. The government programmed you. <laughs> Welcome to 1982. There's a conservative government and child rape is an issue. Yeah. And that really That's plants great. the seeds for what would later be the Watchmen. That mm-hmm. would really be the first inkling of doing that sort of thing with the superhero genre, mm-hmm. essentially for him. Um, and then, of course, the the uh, V for Vendetta, and these were these were both under wa- Warrior, uh, <laughs> which I, I do want to note that it, Warrior was essentially established to give more freedom mm-hmm. to the comic book artist. And I think that that's just really amazing, you know, because if it wasn't for Warrior, there really wouldn't be, I think, a lot of the sort of British invasion, as they termed it, for comic books that we would see not too long after this time period. It also establishes a very, very apparent trend in Alan Moore's career, which is uh, working with a comics publisher, getting frustrated, going with a more independent, more morally run, more uh, ethically sound, smaller publisher, and uh, not being able to finish the series because when you know it, giant corporations are way better at keeping a magazine afloat. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So V for Vendetta act actually totally went unfinished for the long, for a, quite a while until DC got involved and they pushed uh, Alan Moore to actually finish it and, and then they were able to release the whole thing. So could you imagine that if you were like loving V for Vendetta, reading it as, you know, uh, uh, a serial mm-hmm. situation and then it just stops that would make me crazy. I mean, you know? I just wait for the hit movie starring Natalie Portman and Hugo <laughs> Weaving. So, V for Vendetta, uh, obviously set in a dystopian future starring V, uh, wearing the Guy Fox mask, um, which, of course, Guy Fox was a member of the provincial English Catholics who planned the failed gunpowder plot of 1605, which was uh, an attempt at the assassination of King James. You fucking... Uh, uh, cyber terrorist. Learn your history. <laughs> Look it up. Just Google Guy Fox. At least know what you're wearing on your face. I'm oh, wearing like, a cool mask about Hugo Weaving throwing knives at shit. Exactly. And they think, oh, and yeah, exactly. Natalie Portman, oh, I really want to jump her buns. Well, jump <laughs> these buns, all right? Education. Educate yourself, okay? And Holden's been hacked and his bank account has been emptied and <laughs> there's already shit smears on his apartment door. Oh my God. 
God, I can't open my front door. They've <laughs> cyber hacked it somehow. Um, anyways, uh, what was I talking about? I think it's interesting to note it was based on a rejected strip that he submitted called The Doll back when he was 22. Um, it was rejected because the editor was like, uh, I don't think we should do a strip about a transsexual terrorist. Um, uh, and if, uh, uh, yeah, it was always uh, sort of going against the then Margaret... Thatcher Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher. Conservative government. Thatcher. (laughs) And if you do really want to learn a a lot more about V for Vendetta, he did release an essay entitled Behind the Painted Smile. I believe that all of society's ills are the the fault of the Pakistani man. (laughs) (laughs) And this is sort of, uh, uh, I want to read this list off because this is sort of more, uh, this is what it would be like to work with more as uh, as an illustrator, as as an artist. Uh, Moore made a list of what he wanted to bring into the plot and he outlined it in Behind the Painted uh, painted Smile. He said, Orwell, Huxley, Thomas Dish, Judge Dredd, Harlan Ellison's Repent Harlequin, said the the TikTokman, Mm -hmm. Catman and the Prowler in the City, At the Edge of the World by the same author, Vincent Price's Dr. Phoebes and Theater of Blood, David Bowie, The Shadow, Night Raven, Batman, Fahrenheit 451, The Writings of the New World School of Science Fiction, Max Ernst's Painting, Europe After the Rain, Thomas Pynchon, The Atmosphere of British Second World War Films, The Prisoner, Robin Hood, and Dick Turpin. Wait a minute, Europe After the Rain? Yeah. Is that the title of something, or is I he just talking about the concept? No, Max Ernst's painting oh. <laughs> Europe After the Rain. Oh, okay. Here's the thing, though. Yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> just throw a painting in there. Yeah. <laughs> just, to mi- just to mix No, Moore has never been shy about like talking about his influences. Like uh, For a good part of the late 2000s, he was on a huge H.P. Lovecraft kick and got into a lot of Cthulhu stuff just mm. kind of I think because he thought the dour cliffs of New England reminded him of his gross gray upbringing in Northampton right right absolutely um, and so V for Vendetta was great. He also wrote another series for the the Warrior called uh, the Bo Jeffries Saga. Have you guys heard of this? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. It's a comedy about a working class English family of vampires and werewolves. I really, really want to. <laughs> that does sound nice. I really want to want to check that. So one this out. whole time he's like doing. He's getting a lot of accolades in uh, the British press, and he's uh, getting a lot of awards, and uh, he gets the attention of Len Wein at DC Comics. And he's kind of the first wave of, you know, uh, all these British British authors, the British invasion of American comics in the 80s. And uh, like like all the others, he's given a uh, failing title from a obscure character, Swamp Thing. Yes. This is his first American import. This is his first big deal, Swamp Thing. Jake, you're, you're skipping one very important What did I thing. skip? He started a band in between this time. Oh. <laughs> oh, shit. It's called the Sinister Ducks. <laughs> He did it under the pseudonym Translucia Baboon <laughs> in 1983. This is his last great masterwork before he moved, uh, you know, to over to DC Comics and hit mainstream comic books. Um, and we have the single that they released in 1983 called March of the Sinister Ducks. Marcus, if you would. But there's a poison I'd like to administer You think they're cuddly, but I think they're sinister Ducks, ducks And that's more singing and making the duck noises (laughs) What are they doing at night in the park? Ducks, ducks Think of 
what year was this? 1983. Yeah, this is about what was going on in England. We have to cover this. <laughs> Changed the course of Western culture as we knew it. Alan Moore, acclaimed genius. Unbelievable. But yes, and then he went on to make the right for the Swamp Thing and <laughs> revitalize the, 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 the series. Mm. Yeah. And revitalize horror comics in America in general. Because huh? he made it less about just spooky ooky monsters and like actual actual things that people were concerned about, like the environment and uh, social issues. Uh, one of his earliest stories is about a young autistic boy mm-hmm. <laughs> that uh, back before they knew technically what autism was about, who just drew about the scary monkey demon. <laughs> mm-hmm. The scary monkey demon that came and slobbered on him all night long. I'm s- and ate his parents. Ate his parents. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so... After they summoned him with a Ouija board. God, I love Swamp Thing. My yeah. biggest gap in, probably my biggest gap in my Alan Moore sort of reading, it, it would be Swamp Thing. I'm dying. Well, you gotta start with the Floridic man. <laughs> I am dying to the go red, back the and green. Read all of Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. Uh, I'll uh, start. Trace. I'll start bringing them to practice. That'd for you. be it, amazing. They're fan. Uh, they're really like so Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. Uh, I've read it. I don't know a dozen times. Mm. The entire run from beginning to end. It's uh, it's scary as fuck. It's really really creepy. It's amazing uh, horror. Uh, it's good like a good psychological thriller uh it's a little wordy it's a little too wordy That's, oh Al, really alan that, moore no this is alan moore at his wordiest yeah there's yeah. uh there's a thing in early alan moore where there's always this like very fl- like floral like uh, uh uh what's the Fair. word long-winded narrator in yeah. every single comic there's always like and it's beautiful prose i'm not decrying it but like it overwhelms a lot of the work sometimes where there's just these yellow boxes of intense like uh intense narration yeah uh, overlapping I, with what I remember, on. even with the Watchmen, that was some a, a, a bit of a hump I had to get over a little bit with with when I read that book. Was I was just like, wow, these are comics with like a lot of words, <laughs> um, which I was I wasn't yeah. as used to, you know, from from my earlier days of reading Ghostwriter. Uh, yeah. if, if you want like a, a neat little intro uh, single issue, there's a, there's an issue I've read uh, last night when I was going through old Alan Moore comics where Superman gets all hopped up on space fungus. And and uh, literally, Swamp Thing talks him down from a bad high. <laughs> I mean, literally, like so uh, Superman takes in red spores from a, cr- a Kryptonian fungus that is like raising his heart rate and causing him to like burn out and freak out. And he's uh, he's like, "I'm gonna fucking die, man! I'm freaking out, <laughs> fucking monsters, man!" And like Swamp Thing is there, and he's just like, "Shh, it's okay." Everything's- you need to calm down, yeah. super. Man. Bow, bow. <laughs> <laughs> Swamp thing. <laughs> he is amazing. <laughs> Where'd that guy come from? <laughs> oh, that was the actual theme song to the shitty Swamp Thing cartoon oh, in the uh, late 80s. Yeah. No shit. Yeah, check it out. You'd, you'd really like it. I wish it was that duck song. That would have been <laughs> early. That would have been really confusing to the kids. Um, yeah. <laughs> but really, uh, yeah, Alamore Swamp Thing, especially if you're into horror movies, horror comics uh if you really dig and also it talks about like the nature of man 
man and what it means to uh, like be human uh, and where humanity ends and the green begins. I like how consistent the artwork is throughout the run. <laughs> it's terrible. It gets really bad yeah. at various points. Well, yeah. uh, uh, some say that uh, his success with Swamp Thing is really what sparked the British invasion oh, uh, yeah. uh, for comic books at yeah. that time. It was something totally different. Yeah, that, that, that people like Gaiman and Grant, Grant Morrison. Yeah. and well, The very first comic book that I ever uh, remember reading was a Swamp Thing from Alan Moore's run. Swamp Thing number 32. Yeah. I actually still own it. Yeah, it's, what uh, happens in that one? Uh, it's a single, it's a standalone issue. It's the one where the little pogo creatures come down. Oh, from, like, that's a heavy space. first comic book. Super heavy. Yeah. yeah. It, wow. it affected me in ways that are still reverberating to this day. I literally, my first comic was probably either Ghost Rider or a Punisher like throwaway. Yeah. I think there was a Sinister Six run of Spider-Man yeah. that it was one of my first ones. You yeah. know? It was either Swamp Thing or uh, an adaptation of Dino Riders. Mm. That was extremely violent in its own right. I mean, the entire <laughs> premise of Dino Riders is what would happen if a brontosaurus shot a missile at another <laughs> brontosaurus? Yeah, but then there was this so horrific much death in there as well. <laughs> like a woman got ripped apart by a Tyrannosaurus Rex. It was that's very inappropriate for a children's, a children's oh, toy tie. See Marcus Parks. Not the mama. <laughs> Did he scream that first? Did he go? Not the mama. Different dinosaur brand. Oh, is it different? Yeah, yeah but yeah, <laughs> most of it was all dinosaur. But yeah, yeah, yeah. The the Alamore Swamp Day was a fantastic band. That that changed my entire life. And I've been reading comic books ever. Like started with that, and I have not stopped reading comics since I was uh, five years old. That's awesome. Yeah, I. I and, you know, the success of that also for the man himself led to them trusting him with a bit more of a high-profile uh, comic book uh, front man. Uh, they gave him Superman to play around with, to diddle with, if mm. you will, to fiddle around, fiddling all about, fiddling <laughs> all about, fiddle about. Um. I got that reference. <laughs> Marcus and I like to sing that song we like to sometimes. Say, we sing it in practice. Yeah. I know, it's very weird. I don't know why we do it. All right, so uh, they gave. So he he did two amazing runs for Superman. Um, a story called "For the Man Who Has Everything," mm -hmm. which was the basis of an incredible episode of Justice League Unlimited. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's pretty much shot for shot. Like I rem I remember all they did was remove Robin. Yeah. for it, I believe, and just give Robin's lines to Wonder Woman, mm -hmm. and that was pretty much it. Uh, oh, and Batman, uh, one, Batman's gift is just money in the episode. <laughs> 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 just, hey, just throw money, just have him throw money at him in the episode. Um, so yeah, do you want to do you want to explain? Maybe you could explain better than me what that what that one story is about. Uh, for the man who has everything is a uh, really uh, concise, beautiful story about uh, with art by Dave Gibbons. Um, it's a. It's Superman is uh, found in the Fortress of Solitude, catatonic with an alien plant just embedded in his chest, and it's his birthday. And it's his birthday, uh, so that's why Batman and Wonder Woman have shown up with their own gifts to find him catatonic. And uh, the supervillain Mongol, who's just a big yellow, not quite dark side, uh, reveals that he sent it to the through the teleporter that Superman opens once a year to receive birthday gifts from grateful alien species. And uh, while he's trapped by the plant, he's being uh, force-fed a hallucination of his wildest dream for the man Superman. What is Superman's? What is the man who is a god want? And all he wants is just a simple family life 
on Krypton. So, like, mm-hmm. just based on that description of a story, and you think about, especially comic books back he's then. He's arguing with his dad. He's taking care of his kids. His, yeah. like, like, mother-in-law is, is, like, pestering him. That's such an inventive, original concept for a Superman, tr- like, where normally it's literally just bad guy shows up, fucks shit up, superhero comes in, fixes the mess. But he know? was also smart with that because it wasn't just Superman hanging around on Krypton. Batman and Wonder Woman are also fighting Mongol during all this. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. it keeps cutting back to the Mongol fight. Mongol, badass superhero villain, he later destroyed Coast City, which mm-hmm. is Green Lantern's hometown. Oh, and, and and one of the most chilling parts is the end of the end of the, uh, the story where where Mongol has his own fantasies uh, lived out in his mind, and it's just like a hellscape. (laughs) (laughs) It's fucking cool, man. Um, Well, uh, also around this time, I'm just going to say 1985, 86, uh, Watchmen hasn't been released yet, but he's been writing it. Uh, His Swamp Thing is still selling well. The British invasion is going along fine, and uh, they're deciding how to end the Silver Age Superman, like the original, from all the way from Jerry Siegel to... uh, to before Crisis on Infinite Earths, what is the last canon official superhero uh, Superman story before Dave? Uh, I'm sorry, John Byrne takes over uh, and starts uh, what we now consider the modern Superman canon. Yeah, they kind of shot themselves in the foot by creating this thing called the DC Multiverse, um, where they essentially had to. Uh, it, right, I hope I'm getting this right. Jake. It doesn't matter. It do, the point is, I he love wrote the multiverse. The, oh, okay. Well, well but, but they made it really confusing. Mm-hmm. They right, they had a ex- lot of. They made it extremely confusing, and they had to press the reset button. And what 86 87 with crisis on infinite earths uh which was to take the dc multiverse which included earth 2 earth s uh there's a nazi earth like there's an earth where earth nazis won nazi and there's earth. the freedom uh. fighters uh, are fighting constantly it's there's like- a earth 2 where you know the justice league is evil uh and so dc comics created this villain called the anti-monitor that's gobbling up all of the different multiverses and then at the end of it uh every Everything is a okay. The the superheroes defeat the anti monitor, but all of the multiverses are all brought into one DC universe, and that's when they rebooted everything with John Byrne Superman in you know nineteen. According to and I guess one according to the foreword of the trade paperback, Alan Moore was talking with the uh, with the editor of the Superman line before the big shift was happening, and the editor was talking about, oh yeah, how do we close it all off? And Alan Moore literally grabbed him by the student was like, let me kill him. <laughs> I must be the one who ends it. And holy shit, did he end it in, in one of the most spectacular, wonderful, just wonderfully done ways. It is cited as one of the greatest ways to to end a thing. In general, people use it as an example in, you know, when when studying sort of in, in ending a series. That's a big deal with these British authors. I don't know what magic they have, but like Grant Morrison, Neil Gaiman, Alan Moore, all of their big stories actually wrap up pretty neatly. It, it elevates to the level of finality that you don't get a lot in comic books. And isn't that really, at the end, what makes something brilliant, what makes something great? I mean, we're all sort of waiting, you know, uh, uh, I, I know with me personally, like, I'm a big Game of Thrones fan, and George R. R. Martin has always said, he, he's always reassured his fans, he knows the ending, it's going to end, you know, uh, uh, mm-hmm. in, a, in a satisfying way. And, and that, to me, is like the greatest thing ever. I'm a huge fan of Six Feet Under because mm-hmm. of how well they end the series. 
series that that really makes that takes something from being very good to being a brilliant work that that will be always remembered. Uh, but like the core, the core Alan Moore, V for Vendetta, Marvel Man, uh, Watchmen. Uh, they they do they have these bombastic, huge, satisfying endings that people remember, yes. and uh, and so he got to do that for Superman, and uh, then Watchmen came, and we did we we touched on Killing Joke. Yes. Mm. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, Killing Joke came actually after Watchmen. So okay. Killing Joke was like eighty nine, eighty eight. So yes, Watchmen came out in uh, it began in eighty six. Um, and uh, Cold War Mystery, uh, uh, mainly what he wanted to do. I kind of love this little origin here. DC acquired a line of characters from Charlton Comics. Moore wanted to use them to shock readers by having one killed off and, and, and then have it kind of reveal the fucked up underbelly of these like very revered known comic book characters. It's kind of like taking a group of characters that you know really well, like let's say, let's take... Um, X-Men. X-Men, something like that, and say like, oh, one day, uh, you know, Cyclops is found dead, and it really turns out that he was like this dirt bag that was like a shithead to women mm-hmm. and and just like a gross human being. But nobody knew that because all we knew was the sort of sparkling side of Cyclops. This was a bad example because after Watchmen, they totally did that to Professor Xavier yeah. like eight different times. That's funny. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, that's that's the kind of the inspiration that it had. Now, what what happened was DC re- rejected the idea. They loved the story, but they said, you know, they didn't they didn't want all. All of the characters that they just acquired to turn up either no, dead but, or dysfunctional. But what if Blue Beetle just like fucked a Vietnamese girl in the asshole? Alan Moore, I love your style. I love, by the way, love what you've done with the beard. You mm-hmm. haven't been doing anything with it, right? <laughs> we didn't even talk about, ah, oh God. I think, well, wait, are we wrapping it up? I, it's, I mean. I think we may need to do a part two if we're wrapping this up. Are we wrapping this up? I what's what? Where are we at on the? Like cut? got like five minutes. Yeah, I I I mean I don't know. Let's it would be our first two parter. Oh I, shit! I think, I think this deserves. Yeah, a he deserves a two parter. Yeah. Absolutely should do. We have so much more to talk about. I really want to get in depth with uh, the Watchmen uh, a lot more so than than we already did. And and honestly, I want to dig deeper anyways for another episode. Yeah, I mean, there's so much else to cover with Alan Moore. I mean, Dude. you've got all uh, you got all the but ABC comics, mm-hmm. uh, Tom Strong, top ten. Yeah, top ten is top one of the. 10. Whoa, 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 whoa! Did I say that for part yeah, two? Yeah, yeah. So good. One of the forgotten classics of comic book history. Oh my seriously. god, it's so good. Uh, I. But we didn't even talk about that. How he's just this—he's this terrifying figure with the, just this angular face and the sunken eyes and just a wall of beard and head hair just forming a pyramid of power yeah, around he's, him. He's just a starving ogre and a mysterious <laughs> figure. And soon he's going to become even more kind of up in, in his shell. Uh, mm-hmm. Right now he's still going to conventions. He's, he's interacting with the fans and things like that. But um, with the with the breakout success of the Watchmen, that's all going to change. Yeah. Um, and we can also get into his long-standing feud with Grant Moore. Morrison next week if you choose to. Yeah, I would love they to. fucking hate each other. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would hate it someone if they were copping my steez left and right but was a sellout. Well, that's what Alan Moore, Alan Moore calls Grant Morrison a Scottish cover band of his work. <laughs> I disagree. No, I don't. <laughs> so uh, since we're since we're we we no longer have to feel like we need to push forward. Uh, I wanted to go back and, and do and cover one thing that I uh, we missed that I, I do uh, think is very important in his 2000 AD days, and that is the Ballad of Halo Jones, mm-hmm. um, which is a story. Uh, uh, he was because I, I think this might have been one of the first times that somebody attempted this. He was kind of looking at the guns, guys, and gore sort of 2000 AD standard, mm-hmm. and he really wanted to change that. So he created a hero that was 
was an every woman that was just an everyday normal woman living in this bizarre like future world uh, uh, and, and that was very sympathetic and um, the the tone of the strips went from com- comic to poignant and it just goes to show how he was always trying to flip everything on its head also uh, um, no no it's one of the he's one of the staunchest advocates for something that I truly believe that the art form of comics is amazingly versatile and amazingly powerful and more importantly can be produced by very few people you can't I mean, you can write like a, a huge novel by yourself, but you can't make a blockbuster movie by yourself. You can't make, uh, you can't do a lot of things. But the the image you have in your head, like the actual soul of creativity that you want to put out into the world, can be adapted into a comic book so easily and so almost perfectly that people kind of wasted uh, a lot of times. And Alan Moore was always exploring what you can do with just images and words on a page. Um, and another, uh, thing that I really loved, uh, again, kind of, uh, turning something on its head, it's Mogo. Yeah, Mogo. <laughs> Mogo doesn't socialize. Yeah. Uh, I loved, uh, again, I highly suggest going out and find, there's a trade out there that's just a compilation it's of called his, the complete DC works of Alan Moore. It's I, amazing. I, absolutely. I was so happy that, uh, when, with my purchase, it was so fantastic. And, and, uh, uh yeah, I, I almost don't want to ruin it, but uh, you know, it's a Green Lantern story. Mm-hmm. It's just so brilliantly done. So maybe just go look it up. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to lame it Those out. Those Green just, Lantern core stories lends themselves to these short five-page kind of uh, anthology snippets that was Alan Moore's bread and butter. Yes. So whenever he wrote one of those, they were always, like, profound. Telling these wonderful, just highly original tales mm. um, from the magician himself. <laughs> uh, so there you go. There you have it. Um, that That's... Uh, part one. Part one. Of an impromptu two-part series. <laughs> Happens all the time. I honestly w- was going to ask... I was doing research earlier, and I was just like, I can't... There's no way we can talk about all these things. Because, you know, I mean, From Hell was like a life-changing experience for me, and I know, I know we'll get into that. Uh, I mean, I lost my virginity in the first row of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie. Well, that's a different situation. <laughs> right? That's because... the and, and yeah, his the movie was... So bad, and his relationship, <laughs> and his relationship with the films. I, Our, I know I didn't read. Oh, I'm sorry. The audience was so bored and disgusted that we formed an impromptu pedophilic orgy. Filthy <laughs> orgy. I, I uh, uh, yeah, I didn't even read League for the longest time just because of the how bad the movies were. We can talk about all of that stuff. Oh my God, how good League the the comic is, and and sort of where he's at now because he's still alive and kicking. And bang, Zoom, comic book fans. Looks like you'll have to tune in. Same Wizard and the Bruiser times. <laughs> Same Wizard and the Bruiser channel. I've been the Wizard, Holden McNeely. And I've been the Bruiser, Jake Young. Go to Facebook. Go to the Wizard and the Bruiser fan page. There's always a lot of cool discussions there. You can follow me on Twitter, at Best Jake Young. Hey, catch me on Twitch, Holdenators Ho. And I just want to thank everybody out there for really showing some, some support. We made it within the top 100 of the comedy podcast recently. Yeah. You know, it's bumping around. and Definitely not because we were plugged by our producer <laughs> on his top five podcast. <laughs> but that's, you know, but that's huge. That means people heard that and went out and listened and rated and reviewed and it means a lot to us. Yeah, and everybody you, rate and review. It always helps. It absolutely helps. Oh, and uh, now that it's uh, gone fully public, check out, uh, download, uh, if you have an iPhone, download uh, the app Hype. I do a nightly show during the week called the Game Guru Show where I talk about all things video games. So, uh, yeah, download the app today and subscribe. I'm on there just straight up as Holden. Uh, and and come join me live and we'll we'll hang out. We'll talk about video games and I get I do giveaways. I do prize giveaways and shit like that. So yeah. Okay. Good night yeah. <laughs> or good morning. <laughs> For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com.
true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. In a fast-paced world... Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.